right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. How is everyone doing? Fantastic. I have I have a friend from Texas. Every time I ask him, "Hey, how's everything going?" He said, "He always says better than I deserve." That's, that's a good uh, good response. Um, so we are continuing in the book of Hebrews. I have t- this morning chapter five, verses one through six. Um, before we get started, does anyone want to pray first? Anyone? Anyone? Sure. Okay. Well, Father, thank you this morning. We're together. We're yours. And uh, if we knew nothing else. That would be enough. Mm. But we're here no more. So equip us to build us up for ministry through your servant Jonathan and be blessed and uh, be blessed by our happy participation in who you are. Amen. Amen. And thanks for saying participation. Same rules as always. Don't wait for me to call on you because it's not going to happen. <laughs> so um, just uh, ob- object or however you want to interject into the conversation. And I'm, uh, you know, you're not being rude by any means. So go ahead and uh, jump in at any point. So Hebrews five one through six. I'll probably cover a couple of not cover, but we'll get a running start from the few verses before, and maybe a couple of verses past that to kind of get the whole scope of this. But um, does anyone want to read? I guess before we start, anyone want to read Hebrews? I think four. I didn't write down exact, of course, the, where I really wanted to start. Hebrews four fourteen, I think, mm-hmm. to like five nine. That'll kind of give the whole scope of what we're going to be looking at. What was it, Jonathan? Four fourteen. Four fourteen to five nine. To five nine. Oh, yeah. That's a good chunk. Yeah. I, I committed. See, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. He was 14 through 5 9. Yep. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also beset by weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it is he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers with supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Amen. Awesome. So, just a quick kind of uh, catch up. I, I wish I didn't miss last week. Um, Pat, you taught last week, right? Uh, no. Uh, Randy. Randy. I only know Randall. Randy. I don't know Randy. Randy. How did you forget? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the. the uh, we I have forget when it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm most interested in me. <laughs> but we have we have the great high priest. So the book of Hebrews is speaking about the supremacy of Christ, the superiority of Christ. Jesus is better than Aaron. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the high priest you all once knew and followed. And so that's what we're going to be covering today. Um, so. Uh, again, a little bit of background. Hebrews is a book that was written to um, to, to Jewish believers who are now becoming Christians. Mostly, that this book is aimed at them. That and uh, this book is kind of showing them like you've made the right step in your faith because putting your faith in Jesus Christ because Christianity is now replacing Judaism. You now have the new covenant, which is the better covenant than the old covenant. Mm-hmm. 
And then there's also warnings to Jews that are sort of on the fence or kind of maybe wish-washy or don't know, you know, what to uh, what to think about this Christianity. And these warnings are to Jews saying that Jesus is better than all these other things they're trying to hang on to. So, so in the middle of this book, probably about chapters 5 to about 10, it really kind of covers the, the, the high priesthood and the superiority of Jesus really in this book here. And so, so when you're telling the, the Jew that, look, this new, this new covenant, this new testament, this, this newness is better than the old, the, the Jew is going to say, okay, we, 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 hear, we hear about Jesus, we hear that you know, he, he was the sacrifice for our sins, so we have forgiveness of our sins. Where's, where's your priesthood? Right? Because the Jews coming from the Old Covenant, the, 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 the Old Testament was based on the priest taking men's sins and, and giving forgiveness for sins and being that mediator. And so the Jews are going to say, okay, well, where's, where's our mediator? This is a, a newer, better covenant. Who, who is this guy? Where is he? Um, you know, we have the high priests that are meeting between us and God. H- how are we going to do this still? Sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself, so i got to catch up with my notes. Um, yeah, so a Jew, a Jew, one of the Jews, a Jew might say, like, how, how are my sins going to be pardoned when you have no one sacrificing or interceding for you? Like, how, how is this even going to happen? How is this possible? And how can you say this covenant is better with no high priest? <coughs> so the answer that, that Chrissy just read was in 4.14. Does someone want to read just that, that one verse one more time? Uh, Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Right. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, <coughs> not just a high priest, we have a great High priest. Amen. So we do have a mediator between man and God with the new covenant. We have, we only need this one high priest now. The, the Jews are coming from the Levitical order when there's been thousands upon thousands upon thousands of high priests who could not accomplish at all what Jesus did. So we have the one great high priest once and and for all and forever. Mm. <coughs> course I'm jumping ahead of myself again so I gotta catch up so as, as we know God by nature is holy so God is separated by sinners since God from a human standpoint is unapproachable man faces a real dilemma so who takes them to God? That's the point of the high priest is to kind of bridge that gap. The high priest is, is to mediate for man and, and be kind of the spokesperson for man to God. So who gets him there? And again, that's the high priest. So in, in, in the Levitical order, in the, in the Old Covenant, God would choose certain men to intervene. They were divinely chosen men, specially prepared and specially trained and of them were required special things so god is the one who would be choosing the high priest mm-hmm. like god chose Aaron god chose Moses right and so mm-hmm. that that's kind of one of the requirements of, of of being a high priest is god must choose man from within men right and so that that's one of the first requirements now as the high priest before they could even enter into the holy of holies that high priest would have to sacrifice for his sins before he could even enter. He'd have to be, you know, forgiven and cleansed and, and pardoned before he could even enter into the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. There's a, I was reading a couple of uh, uh, things on high priests, and one of them I read, I thought this was really interesting, that they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle and put a bell, like, attached to him. And just in case... Uh, for whatever reason, he wasn't, uh, yeah, I, I guess, cleansed, or for whatever reason, some high priest would drop dead in the Holy of Holies, and they would drag him out with a rope. They'd be like, sorry, dude, because they didn't want to go in either, so they would drag him out with a rope, and have, they'd have a bell on him in here if he fell down dead. Question, so, question, uh, is, is there any record of, of that having happened? I mean, I, I, I've heard that before, too, and I just wonder... I didn't see any any definitive like yes this happened to such and such a person, but it was just I just found it interesting that I don't see, think it would make the 
yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was an interesting uh, like tidbit. I was like, huh? All right, well, all right. <laughs> um, you know, so once they were once they sacrificed for themselves, then then they were permitted under God's grace to enter into the holy of holies and and intercede on behalf of the people. And then, um, so all the all the priests in the Old Testament were bridge builders to God. Men couldn't go into God's presence directly, so God had appointed had to appoint men to become ushers for the the the, the group as a whole. The the way to God was only open as priests did the sacrifices day in day out, and as they presented the atoning blood to God. So that was the only the only way men could be ushered into the presence of God. So priests are ordained by God's pattern to perform certain duties that bring men into his presence. So we're just getting some background here on kind of what the high priest did in the Old Covenant. We're going to compare that to our great high priest. So suddenly now, as we come into the New Testament, the New Covenant, uh, we're, you know, these Jews coming from the Old, the old Covenant, we're, we're to, it, it, every, all of that comes to a screeching halt. That, you know they're used to all these uh, you know sacrifices and patterns and day in day out doing all these same things atoning for sins and and now they're told yeah yeah you don't need that anymore all that's gone you know forget all of your habits and patterns you don't need that anymore it's all been done once and for all and so as they're told as they're being told all of that's come to a screeching halt you now have one great high priest and that is Jesus. You know, it's interesting at this point, too, Jonathan, so, you know, this is maybe, you know, arguably 30, 40 years after Jesus, well, it can't really be 40, because then you'd be in the 70 AD, and mm. obviously the temple's yeah. still standing, but, but these people were without a prophet for 400 years, mm. writing to a people that have been, they've experienced whatever's gone on in the, in the madness that sort of Jesus brought on the scene. But they had nothing for 400 years. I mean, they had the, they had the second temple, and they had some of those things going on and Maccabean revolt and all that a few hundred years before but mm. so they they really are ignorant oh yeah yeah totally like like you said for 400 years they're not hearing from God mm-hmm. and they're in their you know they're in their patterns they're in their you know we're, we're yep. creatures, creatures of habit for yep. sure yep. and you know then this guy Jesus comes on the scene really <laughs> rattles a lot of cages mm-hmm. and you know it, 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 it dies a crucifixion and r- rises again ascends to heaven and then now you got Paul, you know, dragging people to jail, killing them for, for being Christians. Then he, he turns around and starts preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles. And now you have this writer of Hebrews writing these things. So it's just like, whoa, whoa, g- give us a minute here, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, because God's like, all right, you don't want to listen, you know, to to my writer here of Hebrews. Let me let me take it a step further, you know. You know, I was just uh, can I just ask, uh, or at least uh, describe, you know, if you have something going on for four hundred years, what 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 it seemed like was that God wasn't interacting with His people, mm. but they were trying to uh, put something in place that was um, an attempt, I think, to be religious. I mean, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees were operating. They they, they had kind of like a, a cobbled together religion because God wasn't involved with it. Uh, he hadn't been involved with the people. So they for 400 years, they were developing something that I think in many respects is kind of like modern religion that people have around the world. But keep in mind, though, that um, Jesus did say about the temple, you have turned my father's house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. into a den of thieves. So mm-hmm. there is some at least faint recognition that... The temple that was in uh, existence in Jesus's time and in Paul's time and in the writing of this epistle's time, there was still the ongoing practice of priestly duties, offering sacrifices. The high priest would go in uh, yearly with the uh, <coughs> with the goat for fulfilling the Day of Atonement uh, requirements. So they still had the form uh, from the first covenant. And they, and they were practicing what was designed for them even up to the point of 70 AD because the temple was there so therefore the practices had to 
be fulfilled in order to comply with the scriptures. Although it obviously had waned and lost its efficacy, you have two high priests, for instance, recorded in the New Testament. <coughs> there seems to be a lot of disarray, and for 400 years the Lord mm-hmm. seems to have been silent in the sense that he didn't raise up prophets mm. like in Isaiah or mm. Jeremiah mm. during that interval. And Hosea says that the, that the children of Israel would, would abide many days mm-hmm. without a priest, without a teraphim, without a prince, and so on. So that was sort of their uh, vacuum period of time. Uh, so they're going through the motions without... Uh, yeah. But they, but they really thought they were efficacious moments still. I mean, that's why the book of Hebrews <coughs> has such weight, because it clouts on the whole system, saying that it is waning and waxing old, mm-hmm. and it's being replaced by a new and greater covenant with a greater high priest who's offered up a better sacrifice, mm-hmm. not to be, be repeated over and over again. Mm-hmm. So we have another temple, we have another city, we have another priest, we have another covenant. There's about 15 at least, another mountain. We've come to another mountain. I have all listed in my margin all the different others that we have in the book of Hebrews, which is an amazing book because it really helps understand the transition from the first covenant to the new covenant. And that's why we would advocate that there is no return to the first covenant. Otherwise, God would be acting retrogressively right. rather than progressively. Right. Okay, go ahead. And, and to kind of hit on what Mark was saying, how like their, their heart wasn't in it. They were going through the motions. I mean, Malachi, there's a few verses in there in Malachi that are pretty brutal uh, when he's talking to his people before he went south for 400 years. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But, I mean, there's a, one of the verses where he basically says... I will rub, uh, how do I put this, you know, fecal matter on your face, you know, like, that's, that's pretty brutal, you know, God's like, your heart isn't in this, you're just, you're just going through the motions here, and this is what I think of it, and then he goes silent for 400 years, so, you know. Jeremiah warned the people, look, don't be running around screaming, the temple, the temple, the temple of the Lord, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, so, so, and, and again, now you have this writer of Hebrews saying, like, all those high priests, we, we have one forever that's better than all of them. And this one could do what all of them combined couldn't do. Amen. You know? Um, so, and, and so I, I wrote here, and, and Jesus, um, his one great act of sacrifice, which was himself, so he's the priest and the sacrifice at the same time, mm-hmm. providing eternally for man to enter into God's presence. You know, the, the, the perfect picture of that was when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. And then the temple, the, the, the curtain to the temple tore in half. Mm-hmm. God, you know, that, that was God saying, there's no more need for a holy of holies. You can now all enter in because of my son, because of your high priest, because of the work he just finished. Mm-hmm. You now all can enter through faith. Yeah. Yeah, and I put here, so Jesus, in, with one act and one moment of time, accomplished what millions of sacrifices and thousands of priests could not do, so, which is to open the, God, the way to God permanently, so man can enter into God's presence. The resistance that they had to that kind of thinking when you know, their whole life they've been brought up generation after generation that this needed to be done, and not only that, but their whole country government was all wrapped around that temple in the worship. It's not like our country where we have a mixed bag of everybody on earth in one place. This was one nation basically worshipped the same way all the time. I think you can see that. I mean, people continue the Jews continue today to believe that that sacrificial system is somehow effective with whatever they're doing. Mm. And Jews today are even trying to dig underneath the mount in Jerusalem with expectations that they're going to find uh, the tabernacle, or the temple, yeah, rather. The temple. Mm. Remember, Jesus said that not one stone would be laid upon another mm. in regards to the temple. Mm. So, uh, whatever they're going to find is going to be scattered and far, far away. 
Yeah, I mean, even like our, our dispensationalist friends is like, as you're reading this, it's like, why, why would this old way of things be brought back? What a slap in the face that would be. You know, th- this great high priest isn't enough. That sacrifice wasn't enough. Let's let's bring the sacrificial system, you know, back into play for a time. Like yeah, it's. It's a great movement to 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 bring that about. Yeah. In the irony of this is Jonathan, those who are it is putting up thousands and tens of thousands and millions of dollars with hopes of reconstructing the temple, yeah. mm-hmm. but from their own theological standpoint. That temple isn't going to last more than seven years. Right. It's going to be destroyed in seven years after it's completed, and then they're supposed to have a millennial temple that, again, is going to re inaugurate uh, Mm -hmm. temple sacrifices, Mm -hmm. bloodshed, and animal sacrifices, which should be redundant to the majority of people. Can someone read Hebrews 4 16? This will tie into the. us, you know, the temple being torn and having the, the last great high priest, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Yeah, and so that, that's what was made. I love, I think some other versions use boldly mm. instead of confidence. Let us come boldly before the throne. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is showing that we have a high priest who a high priest who once for all offered us offered the final sacrifice and took away the need for any other past that. You know, so to his readers are locked in to understanding that there's an atoning sacrifice needed by, by a priest, and this shows that Jesus has done that in no other way that any other priest could have ever done. So there's there's qualifications for the priesthood, um, and so if you want to read Hebrews one through four, uh, that'll uh, go over the kind of the qualifications for the priesthood. Hebrews one through four. Uh, sorry, five five one through four, five one through four. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. That is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. Yeah, so... So he had to be selected by God from men. So verse 1 covers that. And then chosen by God, being chosen by God is mentioned in verse 4, just as Aaron was chosen by God. So um, you want to turn, can someone turn to Exodus? Exodus 28, verse (coughs) 1. Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. We can see in the Old Testament here, God selecting his priesthood from men. So Exodus 28, verse 1. Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with cherubim worked into them by a skilled craftsman. Totally wrote that down wrong. I'm sorry, that's 26. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> 28, 1. <coughs> have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites along with his sons Nadab and Abihu Eleazar and I'm not going to try so they may serve me as priests mm, so God right there telling Moses bring these men I'm choosing these men bring them to so God was selecting his priesthood for men so a priest must partake of the person he must partake of the nature of the person who he he officiates for. So, a, a priest has to be among men if he's interceding for men. God's not going to choose a goat to intercede for man or, or a bull or whatever. So, for whoever's being represented to God has to be has to be chosen from within that group of, of people. God didn't choose angels to be priests or animals 
but he chose men to be to 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 represent men on behalf of men. If they didn't have the nature of man, they couldn't understand man. They had to understand the nature and what it was like to be a man or to be who they're representing to God in order to be sympathetic and apathetic and all those things as they're as they're interceding on behalf of his people to God. Only only a man can rightly minister for a man. They had to again they had to understand the, the pain and agony and anguish and sufferings and, and all that to, to intercede on, on behalf of them. Jonathan. Yes. I think it's kind of funny. He chose Nadab and Abihu because God would know that they would later offer inappropriate mm. fire or whatever mm. and, and wipe them out. Mm. And so, they, and those are the first priests. So that was like an example to everybody else. Like, don't do that. Well, there's also Korah's rebellion too, <laughs> where you know God's like, "Hey, I didn't choose you guys, but you're gonna find out what happens if I don't choose you, mm-hmm. and uh, and you think you're good enough." Mm-hmm. You know, and they open up the ground and swallowed tens of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and this is, and uh, I I kind of took some notes. I, I it was very hard not to go down tons of rabbit trails with this, but uh, really uh, the incarnation really stood out to me in this too. When even the the last the lesson that I taught was talking about Jesus having to become a man to. You know, in order to represent us, but even as a, as a priest, you know, this is why God, you know, Jesus had to be incarnate. He had to be incarnate to become a man, to go through pain, suffering, to understand, you know, the the uh, uh, what 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 sin can do and what it's capable of doing, in order to to stand in the gap for us. And that, so that's why there had to be an incarnation, and and that, and that was one of the requirements also to become the great high priest he had to be incarnated to even become the great high priest Jonathan have you got a comment on verses 2 and 3 where the high priest had to uh, cleanse himself from his own sins H- how does that parallel and he did mention that he had to offer sacrifice first for his own sins yeah the high priest yes how does that relate to Jesus Christ if there's a similarity between uh, the Old Testament high priest Aaron and uh, Christ, our great high priest? I believe I have uh, something coming up pretty soon here. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. I have a John Calvin quote, but I'll skip over that. <coughs> well, and then I, so I also put that the, the high priest had to be sympathetic with man. He didn't, you know, Jesus didn't need to learn any information. Like, he, it's not like he had to, he, he had to learn, he was omniscient. Like, so there was nothing he had, he had to learn. But he had to learn through obedience. He had to learn through the incarnation. And, and, I, and I covered that actually in the last lesson I did too, where he, he already sort of, he, he already knew these things, but he didn't know them by, by going through the act of, of, you know, actually going through temptation of sin and actually going through pain, grief, crying, sleeping, being hungry. Um, so he had to go through all those things in order to, again, to be a representative of man before God. Um, if we look at Hebrews 5, verse 8, um, it talks a little bit about him <coughs> excuse me, having to go through like the, those, those things. Hebrews 5, verse 8. Hebrews 5, verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Mm. So he, he, he learned obedience through suffering. We, I, again, I talked about that the last time I talked. He, just, he learned what, what all those things were like by going through them. And being made perfect doesn't mean he was imperfect, but it means he perfectly became the qualification for that high priesthood through these things that he went through. When that word perfect is used there, doesn't it mean complete? Right, exactly. Yeah. But it wasn't like, like, like I was saying, it wasn't that he was imperfect or needed to be perfected, but he perfectly became, once he was incarnated and went through those things, he then became complete for that high priesthood. Exactly. Um, now can we jump to verse 2? <coughs> Hebrews 5 verse 2. 
He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also beset by weakness. Mm. So that word compassion, it, it, it's to, to bear gently with, mm-hmm. it, because you, because you feel it too. He, so he 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 become compassionate on those ignorance, and we'll cover that in a second. But so that was again part of what Jesus had to go through being incarnate. He had to go go to, to have compassion on his people. It's a it's a gently kind of striving with the child of God to lead them in the right path. Mm-hmm. So, so you would feel the ends of their extreme, but you're able to be a rock at the same time, and that's what that's what that that word compassion means. You know, Greeks at this at this point, Greeks and Jews always thought God was a little removed, was a little removed from them. But the high priest must bear gently with his people, and so here's God being incarnate, not being far removed, but being among within his people and. Be, and showing them compassion. He, so he has compassion on the ignorant. This, this also is interesting. Compassion on the ignorant. I didn't, this was a whole other rabbit trail. I had to like tell myself not to go down. But um, let's go to Numbers fifteen twenty eight. Numbers fifteen twenty eight. And I'll, I'll say this as we're turning there. The priest only ministered on behalf of the ones that sinned in ignorance. Mm-hmm. So let's turn to Numbers fifteen twenty-eight. The priest is to make atonement before the Lord for the one who erred by sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made for him, he will be forgiven. Mm. The, the, the one that erred ignorantly or unintentionally. I put, there's no, there's no provision... For the deliberate lawbreaker, the ones who defiantly sin, knowingly, willfully, with their fists in the air, there's no sacrifice for anyone at all in anywhere in the Bible. I thought that was interesting, and that was a whole other rabbit trail. I didn't want to go down, but I, I didn't want to spend too much time on it. But I thought that was uh, really interesting and something else I want to I want to look into. Um, so the the third characteristic of a priest is sacrificing for men. Um, so if you look at the end of verse one and verse three, if someone can read that Hebrews five, the end of verse one and all of verse three, um, you'll see sacrificing for men. To offer, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Mm. Verse three. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. Mm. Alright, so... So now we're going to look at Jesus meeting these qualifications. Uh, so the first qualification is being chosen by God out of men. So if we look at verse 5, we'll see that. Mm. Hebrews 5, verse 5. Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. There you go. So chosen by God right there. Mm-hmm. And then he said, So not a priest after Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. That's also interesting. Um, let's see. What time do I have to be done by? Ten. 1025 ish. 1025, okay. So if we want to turn to Psalm 1, verse 10, we'll see this reference to the order of Melchizedek. Um, Psalm 1, verse 10. I think it's Psalm 110. Oh, sorry. You're right. You're right. Good call, Randall. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemy thy footstool. Maybe I was right. It's not. Psalm one ten one. No, you go to the verse for the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. There you go. There you go. Randall with the save. Yep. Um. So so Melchizedek's priesthood came before Aaron's. 
He, Melchizedek was a king and a priest. Mm-hmm. If we turn to Genesis 4.18, we'll see that. So can someone turn to Genesis 4.18? Genesis 4.18 mm-hmm. To Enoch Genesis 4.18 Yeah uh, Well to Enoch was born I don't think that's the first one No? No That's when Abraham came, ran into Melchizedek and Yeah I think you'd want to be back up there around 12 12 or 13 no, Just before 15 So it's going to be 14 Yeah there we go So um, I mean you're starting in Genesis 14 And you're somewhere around verse 17 Okay uh, After his return from the defeat of Shedolomer And the kings who were with him The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba And Melchizedek king of Salem Brought out bread and wine He was priest of Most High God mm. And he blessed him and said Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessed of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemy to your hands. And Abram goes and gives a tenth of everything to. Mm. And so, so Melchizedek there was was king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. That's why Jesus is the order of Melchizedek because Jesus is king and high priest, mm-hmm. not of Aaron. Aaron Aaron wasn't a king; he was just a priest. So that's why he can't be from the order of Aaron. Mm-hmm. He has to be from the order of Melchizedek because mm-hmm. he was a king and a priest of the Most High God. Um, that's a completely different tribe, too. Yes. Yeah. Right. He has the the but the, the, he was pre-tribal. Yeah. Like like there there's no mention of his ending or beginning or or you know parents or anything like that. He just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And. And I, I don't know how true this is, but I, I read something that Salem was actually Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So I, that's interesting, too. Mm-hmm. I, I never knew that until I started doing this study. I was like, oh, okay. Um, let's see. And, and the, the writer of Hebrew is kind of mentioning Melchizedek here. Um... The Jews knew that Melchizedek must have been an important or, you know, interesting individual to say the least. If Abraham is the one, you know, giving him alms and, 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 and giving him a tithe and things like that, with Abraham showing Melchizedek the honor, then the Jews knew that, okay, there's something with this Melchizedek guy if, Abra- if Father Abraham is, is going to this extent with this guy. Um, let's see. So the second qualification, he w- Jesus was sympathetic with his people. If we look at Hebrews 5, verse 7. Hebrews 5, verse 7. I know we're jumping around here, but... Mm. The days of his flesh. I love how that's worded. Yeah, yeah. The days of his flesh. You know, the in, the incarnation. The God being a man, a hundred percent God, a hundred percent man. Um, you know, I, I put here like wherever you have been, Jesus has been. He he's. Uh, I have some more notes further on down here, but he 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 has gone through everything we've gone through. He's been hungry, tired. He's cried. He's wept for his people. Um, he's prayed. He's interceded for his people. Like it, it, I mean, we get to see the great, the the high priestly prayer in John 17, but there's all those other times where it says like he went away and he went, you know, he went away at night or went away early in the morning. Like I wonder, wonder what those prayer sessions were like, like him just interceding on behalf of his people to his father and just just crying out for all of them. Like however many people he saw a day, you know, he was like praying for all those people. And it's just I don't know, it, it's uh, amazing G. K., to think G. K. of. Chesterton believed it. Those times when Jesus went away, those were really the only times he enjoyed laughter with the Father. Hmm. You know, see him record. I thought that was <laughs> nice. He got to go enjoy laughter with the Father when he was away. There's nothing biblical to support that, but I yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and I, I put, you know, he couldn't have been a high priest if he didn't spend. If, if, he, he couldn't have been a high priest if he wasn't in the flesh fully feeling what we feel like. You know, mm-hmm. that that was another part, a reason for the incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it mentions in verse seven there strong, strong crying and tears. Um, you know, 
where where can you where, where do we have a section of knowing that he had strong crying and tears? The garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Um, he felt temptation. Like th- th- this was interesting as I started digging into this. He felt temptation like we would never feel. That we we succumb long before before we reach the climax of temptation. We're, we, we, we will fall into it but way before it gets to it. It's heightened, you know, temptation, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Since since he's never succumbed to any, to any any of the temptation, he ran temptation to its fullest extent. Mm-hmm. You know, like if we're, if, we're, if we're in pain in our body, like we're under extreme pain, there's a point where our body, it goes into shock and kind of turns off that pain and we're not going to feel it. Jesus did not turn off that feeling of temptation. So he would feel temptation to the most extreme that we could ever imagine as he's being tempted. He suffered past the point because because he had nothing in his nature that would succumb to the sin. Like, that's just amazing. Like, to think of it that way. Like, my goodness. John, is it, is it true that right now, where Jesus is in heaven, ascended to the right hand of the Father that even right now he's able to relate to us, have compassion on us? Absolutely. So, I mean, you're a blind man. Jesus wasn't a blind man. How how does he relate to you, brother? Just something practical. Well, I mean, mean, even though I'm I'm physically blind, I mean, I still, like, I still go through hurt emotionally or Mm -hmm. needs, wants, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things in life that I want to strive for. He... He knows what all of that's like. I mean, he doesn't know what it's like to... I mean, he knows what it... Uh, hmm. I was going to say, he, he knows what it is to be spiritually blind, but that can't be true. But he, he was with blind men. He gave them back their sight. Like, he knows what that's like. And, uh, and I've received my spiritual sight, so I've... Uh, even though I'm physically blind, I can spiritually see. So, I mean, Jesus is has gone through everything and anything we, we could ever have gone through. That's why, as we pray to him, you know, just saying, oh, Lord, help me with this, or I really want this, or, you know, I, I need you. Without your help, I, I have nothing to hope for in this situation. And Jesus totally understands all of that as he intercedes for us in heaven. And, and so as he took every every temptation to the extreme, he still remained without sin. So the the word cry here, I tried writing it phonetically of what it is in Greek, and I'm good, probably going to say it totally wrong. Um, Crowdek, I think is right. Crowdek. It means a cry that a man doesn't really choose to utter. It's it's wrung out of him in an anguish of pain. It, it's this un, not not even doing it on purpose. It's just wrung out of you. That's the type of crying. And then um, he prayed to him that was able to save him, that, that which is also in, in verse seven. That was he, he prayed to him that was able to save him from death. Um, it, in Greek, that the word ek is in there to save out of. The, it means to save out from within. Ek to save out from within. So when he was praying. To God that who was able to save him from out of death he, he wasn't praying God don't let me die I, I don't want to die save me from from dying that that's not what he's praying for he was saying once I get in once I get into death get me out mm-hmm. I'm he's praying for the resurrection the resurrection once I die resurrect me so he wasn't praying to get out of the cross but to receive the resurrection how does that square up with the Gethsemane's prayer? Uh, Father, take this cup away from me. Uh, what is he not concerned about his crucifixion there? I, I would say it's the wrath that was going to be poured on him because the cup always represented wrath in the Old Testament. I think he knew what his father was capable of doing and he was going to have to bear all of that. It wasn't necessarily the dying, but I think it was the... The, the the wrath and judgment he was going to have to go under for for all for bearing all the sin. We know it wasn't deliver us from death because it just goes on to say that he was delivered. Right. I mean, he he got answered his prayer. Yeah. 
Um, one thing about the high priesthood, if I could add something. Mm. You know, when Jesus was here on earth, I remember there was a woman who came in the midst of a crowd who touched the hem of his garment mm. because she had an issue of blood. Mm. For 12 years, she spent all her living on the physicians and she got no healing from them. But she goes to the great physician, if you will, mm. and just touches his garment. Not, not, didn't touch his hand, his face, his foot, but just the garment. And Jesus stops the crowd that he was walking with, that was crowded around him, and he stops and says, somebody touched me. Now, that, they're amazed. How can you, they said, how could you be concerned about that when everybody is mauling you, elbowing you, the shoulder to shoulder, and mm. you're saying, someone touched me? I think that's just a wonderful example of Jesus's high priestly compassion mm. that this woman, who, <clears throat> out of desperation but confidence that this was the man I have to go to, and Jesus says, "I know somebody touched me because power, mm. dunamis, mm. has come out of me." Mm. Virtue, the King James says, but it's really a word that means power. So there was an exertion of energy, spiritual energy, you could say, that came out of the Lord that was transfixed on that woman, and she immediately was healed. So the point I'm trying to bring out that Jesus, even on earth, had sympathy. It says he had, he, uh, Acts 10.38, says he had compassion on them that were, no, he, um, he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed mm. of the devil. So, you know, that's a savior. That's a kind of uh, work that he did here on earth. But then when he ascended into heaven, now he becomes still a compassionate, merciful mm. Lord that is willing uh, for us to reach out and touch him, so to speak. And he will exert that energy towards us virtually to minister to our needs. Amen. And the last qualification for the high priest is to be giving sacrifices and uh, for for the behalf of the people. Well, Jesus is the last, greatest, final sacrifice on the cross. He performed that priestly duty once and once only, because that's all it needed—an eternal sacrifice that sufficed for all to enter into the presence of God through faith in Christ. And so, Him being the author of salvation. The, the one who who initiated salvation, who is the provider of salvation, the one who created salvation, he is the one that performed this act of salvation through the last and forever lasting sacrifice. And those are the three qualifications for him to be the great high priest of our salvation. Is there anything else anyone wanted to add? Day of Atonement, and you go to the temple and make sacrifices, and there's Jesus, and uh, like the priest says, you got to Jesus, and he's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Still participating, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, uh, and knowing that he was going to be the ultimate at some point. You know, you mentioned about him growing up. I thought you were going to go to Luke, where it says that he grew, became. What's he grew in wisdom? In stature. In right? stature yeah. before God and men. So, I mean, it was normal development in Jesus' lifetime. You know, he was an infant. He was a toddler. He was an adolescent, a young adult. He was an adult. And so he hit all the categories, you could say, of, of humanity mm. so that there's nothing that he can't sympathize with and understand empathetically. Yeah. And and just to you know sort of tie everything back in like that's what this author is trying to point out with okay you're coming from the old covenant you had all these high priests that's great but look at how awesome and great this high priest this one is so much better so much more superior than all of them put together so the sacrifices all the millions of sacrifices in the past could not not even accomplish what this one sacrifice did this is the high priest you want 
you, there's no you, there's no need for any other past this high priest, and he's done way more than all of them ever could have done put together, and so th- that's why the author is lining up all these, you know, showing out showing what the qualifications were, and then showing how Jesus met all of them and su- and and you know superseded them, and to some extent. So that's why the author is saying, you, you want a high priest, you got one. This is the high priest you want. Any anything else anyone wanted to add? We yeah, got a few more minutes. Is that he? In a way, if you think about it, that writer is writing prophetically because this hasn't happened yet. The temple has not been destroyed, mm. so he's telling people things about. So it's like you and I. Somebody's telling us what's going to be replaced for it even happen. Mm. So that must have been astounding to them. They would have to really. Uh, you have to wonder why. I mean, when Jesus told the disciples, the twelve, that the temple was going to be destroyed, that's like you know saying to someone in Manhattan, the twin towers are going to come down. Right. Uh, right. I mean, more more so even than that. So you would think that word would have spread that the author of Hebrews would have said, "Hey guys, not going to be long before this whole system is terminated. Your temple is going to turn into rubble." Mm. So you have to start looking elsewhere for confidence and hope that will be steadfast and sure. Mm. But that apparently was not in the forefront, obviously, in the author's mind. For whatever reason, God maybe restrained that from him. I don't know. But one other thing I want to just mention, Jonathan, is, mm. um, you know, Moses and, uh, wasn't alone. Um, he recognized that he had some shortcoming, and he... He said, I'm, I'm, I'm slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Yeah. And the Lord gave him Aaron. So you have Moses and Aaron working in collaboration with one another mm. in leading the people of God. Moses is called the king of Jeshurun, mm. which means that's a synonym for the word for the nation of Israel, Jeshurun. He's the king, and Aaron is very distinctly the priest. Mm. So there you have the two leaders okay. of Israel, the king Moses and the priest, high priest, that is um, um, Aaron, that are the overseers of the, of the covenantal people. Mm. In the New Testament, we have a Moses figure in Jesus, and we have a Aaronic figure in Jesus. Mm. And he's after the order of Melchizedek, which is the double office of priest and king. Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't tie those two things together with Moses and Aaron. Me either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way too that it tells us in the Old Testament that in a way that when Moses, uh, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, that Jacob, who was in his loins, was inferior mm. to Melchizedek. Mm. So. The old, t- the old covenant is inferior to the great, our new life. Mm. Amen. Yeah. No. I, like, I, like I said, I, I, I love Hebrews more and more, and especially like I said in the past couple of years, once I started learning, you know, new covenant uh, theology or whatever you want to call it. Like it's got different, various names: progressive covenantalism, or, um, but. Yes, it's that the, the book of Hebrews and the Old Testament have just become alive to me now, and it's just amazing to read through them and to un- have a better understanding of them. So, um, anyone want to close in prayer? All right, Barry, I'm looking at you. Thank you, brother. <laughs> <laughs>